Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Kira Posey. On today's episode of The Lead, I speak with Jewel Wicker. Jewel is a freelance reporter, podcast host, and producer who focuses on entertainment and culture. She has written for publications including GQ, Billboard, NBC News, Complex, Teen Vogue, and Atlanta Magazine, just to name a few. In 2021, she was awarded an Ambie Award and a Webby Award for her work as a co-host and writer on the Crooked Media Tenderfoot TV podcast, Gaining Ground, The New Georgia, which focused on Georgia's 2021 Senate races. She has been an Atlanta Press Club board member since 2017. In this episode, Jewel and I discuss entertainment journalism's struggle with diversity, her approach to interviewing different kinds of sources, and how she found her writing voice over the years. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Hey, Jewel. Thank you so much for coming on today. I am so excited to chat with you and to hear insights. And yeah, just thank you for coming on to the lead. Absolutely. Really excited to be here. How are you? I'm good. Very busy, very hectic time for me work-wise, but I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. And with you being busy, again, just thank you so much for for making the time to do this and share your expertise and your advice for our listeners. I know in your just in your career um, and throughout your experiences, I know you have a lot of valuable insights. So I'm super excited. That's so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. With that, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into our first question for you because, like I said, we have a lot to cover. <laughs> so first, I wanted to just go back into your background. You are now freelancing full-time. Previously, you worked at Atlanta Magazine, the Patriot News, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution before freelancing. And also, since that transition, your byline has appeared in the New York Times, Billboard, Complex, Teen Vogue, just to name a few of them. So how did you make that transition from, I guess, how did you make that transition into freelancing? and what has been your journey so far? Yeah, great question. I do want to clarify, I interned for Atlanta Magazine. So I interned for them the summer after I graduated from college through the Atlanta Press Club. So I wasn't an employee, like I didn't work there full time, but I did intern there for them for about two, for about two months um, throughout the summer before getting a job in Pennsylvania and then subsequently getting the job at the AJC. And the the journey from being a staff writer to being a freelancer. I mean, it's a very hard journey and it's a journey that um, I always tell people, I don't think I had any idea what I was getting myself into. You know, I, I there's just a, a huge learning curve, not just on the writer aspect when it comes to learning to pitch for national publications. Maybe you're pitching someone you've never seen before, you've never met, you have to sell yourself to them versus me being a staff reporter I didn't really pitch my stories. I knew my beat. I wrote what I what I thought was appropriate for my beat. And even if I did have to pitch, it was a very informal process of me going up to my editor's desk and saying, hey, how's this sound? Um, and so that was a huge transition for me, learning how to pitch myself in an email, cold emailing people. Um, but then also just, I think, the business aspects of freelance. I always tell people being a good journalist and being a good writer is not nearly enough to sustain yourself as a freelancer. It is a small business. And um, I was looking at a contract today and I'm like, well, I misread that. I mean, there are things that you just legalese and contracts and payment terms and all of these things that you quite frankly, health 
care that you quite frankly don't have to uh, think about when you're a staff reporter. And so it's I'm four years in and I'm still trying to learn everything. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that like thinking about yourself as a small business aspect is really like an interesting thing that I hadn't thought about it as well. With that learning curve, you know, like how like I guess is that does that learning come through just your experience and being in it for a number of years? Like how have you learned these skills over time? Yeah, I mean, I would love to be able to say, and then I took a class and I was great. But I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it has just been through failing or through signing contracts that weren't great or through not getting paid on time and trying to figure out how to get the money that I am rightfully owed. Or, you know, it comes through kind of sometimes being taken advantage of as a writer and then learning, okay, so next time I want to ask for this or this time, next time, you know, if I'm... If this sounds like a good rate, but I end up doing so much more work than I plan to do, was it really a good hourly rate at the end of the day? So next time I know about how long it takes me to do to write a cover story or to write a profile. So I know I don't want to ask for anything less than this this time. You know what I mean? It's a lot of trial and error, unfortunately. Um, I wish I could tell you there is like a blueprint, but everybody's journey is different. Everybody's um, streams of income are different. It, It just it really depends on what you're looking for and what works for you from profiles on music artists, actors and dancers, to larger trend pieces on topics that stood out to me, like Southern rap and media's racial reckoning. What I love about your writing specifically is that it's very versatile. You can be very fun and fast paced or very evocative and serious. So I want to know how you came into your writing voice now. I know it's been a process, I'm sure. And how you stay true to that voice when writing about different topics. That's a good question. I think it just comes with time and with being comfortable and confident and with work and also with working with editors who do good work, who are good at their jobs. And, you know, I think a good editor will push you where you need to be pushed and they will bring out and hone out your individual writing style as it relates to their publication without just completely taking out all of your personality. And so I've been really lucky in that I've had a lot of different writer editors who have been really great at this um, and that have been really helpful um, in pushing me and making me a better writer reporter, but also allowing me to explore my different writing styles. But, you know, every time you branch into a new publication or a new medium, it's a new challenge. I'm working on a podcast project now. And oh, my God, the process of transitioning my brain from writing for print and digital to writing for an audio project the hardest thing I am struggling, right? I, I literally just signed up from some, for some courses um, on Monday to try to help me with that. So every time you transition to a new medium, it's a learning curve. You're a fish out of water again. I wanted to actually ask you about one of your audio projects as well, Gaining Ground, The New Georgia, which focuses on 2020 Senate runoff races in Georgia, where, as you know, two Democratic senators won over two Republican incumbents. That project won an Emmy and Webby Award this year. What was the inspiration behind this podcast and what made you want to, you know, break into the audio world generally? Well, I was I studied broadcast journalism when I was in college and just by way of life ended up getting more into the print and digital space. But I always knew that I wanted to do broadcast work via television um, and via audio projects when I got the opportunity. It was always a goal of mine. Um, And I had been pitching the project that I'm working on now. I can't say too much about it, but I had been pitching this project for about two years. Um, And I had already been trying to get that project off the ground when I got approached for gaining ground. Um, They were, you know, Cricket Media and Tenderfoot TV were working on that project. And they said, um, 
you know, we're working on this podcast. Rembert Brown, who is my co-host, um, also from Southwest Atlanta, recommended me to co-host it with him. And I thought that was so kind. And I, I liked the project. I thought it was interesting. And I also thought, hmm, I want to make my own podcast. I have not done a podcast before. This might be a good way for me to dip my feet in and to, to get, you know, introduced into this world and to see what it's like. And so that's how I got introduced to the project. Um, and I, I thought it was obviously a very important, a very timely project. And I liked the team that I was working with. And so it was really a no-brainer for me on whether or not I would participate. When working on that project, I'm wondering, you know, there were a lot of like twists and turns with that race. When you were working on it and telling that story, were there any like challenges or unexpected issues that came up? Yeah, I look back on that project now and I'm like, we we were absolutely crazy. We were turning out episodes once a week and we didn't have, we didn't get to backlog any of the episodes because this was all things that were going on live and in real time. So the episode would come out Tuesday. We didn't even get time to digest what people were saying or to really celebrate the fact that we just put out an episode because we're immediately on to the next episode and we're working on that episode until Monday after midnight like basically Tuesday morning when the episode comes out on Tuesday and we start I mean that was and it was happening over the holidays right so Christmas time I mean a lot of us missed you know we we didn't work on actual Christmas day but very much the rest of the holiday season and through New Year's we were working and we didn't really get a lot of downtime and it was exhausting and crazy. But I mean, I'm really glad that it turned out so well because I think it was such an important project. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm wondering a bit now about your current audio project. I know you said you couldn't give too many details away, but you mentioned that you are signing up for a class, you know, and preparing for that. So like, can you maybe share how this project as well has grown your understanding of the audio workflow and audio industry? Yeah, this project is different in that this is, like I said, I've been pitching this project even before Gaining Ground. This is my creation. It came from my brain. It wasn't something that somebody came to me and said, can you host? Um, and so we're starting from scratch. I am doing all the interviews and script. I'm not just doing the voiceover, but I'm doing all of the scripting and and, and um it's a lot. <laughs> and also, I mean, again, we talk about running a small business, right? The contractors that I need to pull off a project like this. I am responsible for contracting them. I am responsible for getting them paid and, you know, all of those things. And also just effectively conveying my vision of what this project should be like to them. Um, and so it is gaining ground on a whole nother level. I mean, even though I had that experience under my belt, I'm very grateful. We've won two awards. We just got nominated for an iHeart Award. Just a phenomenal. But this is a different beast. I mean, we are really... It's a lot more work. And it's a smaller yeah. team. It's it, it just we do not have the resources and the team that Gaining Ground did. And so it, it ends up being a lot more work for this the small team that we do have. I wanted to ask you a bit about the way that you prepare for interviews. When I was looking at your work, I had this question. You've interviewed people who have had um, either a lot of media experience and exposure to journalists, like um, when your profile on Jack Harlow, Tracy Ellis Ross, Lil Yachty, I'm sure they've been exposed to journalists time and time again, to sources who might not have had any exposure at all or very, very little exposure. Um, I was thinking about this when I read um, your story where you profiled a reverend who is the founder of the Black Church Food Security Network, um, which connects churches with farmers to create alternative food systems. 
I mean, when I read that, I was wondering if he had how much media training or exposure he had. So do you have different methods for interviewing and preparing for the interviews for both of these kinds of people? Absolutely. I would say pastors are a different breed. They are trained to speak publicly. So he certainly was not an issue. I think he even outside, he had been interviewed by media before, but he stands up on a pulpit and talks to people all the time. He has no problem with, with that. But I think of people like Jalea Harmon, who was the young girl who made the rene- renegade dance. When I first interviewed her, she was 14, 15, maybe. And she, I mean, she just had the New York Times piece come out. But that was really the only media she had done. Um, she was very quiet, very reserved. And I remember the first time I talked to her, her mother was just like, I'm really sorry. She's not very talkative. She just, you know, she's not used to this. And she's not a super talkative person anyway. And I'm like, that's totally fine. First of all, I think working for Teen Vogue has been such an asset to me because I'm used to working with young people who don't talk to the media all the time. And even young people who do talk to the media all the time, they all they don't always want to be very verbose. Maybe they just want to talk in two word sentences because that's what they feel like. Like <laughs> I am very used to working around that. Um and so it didn't bother me. But I, I will say in that instance what worked was that I spoke to Jalea, I want to say like two more times within like a week or two following that experience. So by the third time she was really comfortable with me. And she saw, okay, this is a person who is like not going to dip in and dip out. They really are invested in my story. And I've interviewed her since then. I interviewed her earlier this year. She knows me. Her mom knows me. Like I've kind of created that rapport with them to where she's more comfortable speaking to me. And she has, um, you know, less of a complex about speaking to a journalist because at least it's a journalist she's familiar with. Um, And so that always helps, but obviously you don't always get multiple times to talk to people. I just really try to meet people where they are. I try to over explain the process to people who are new, right? Like I try to say, all right, like I'm going to record this because I want to make sure that I get this right for both of our sakes. I don't want to misinterpret you. And if you have any questions about what you said, I want you to have access to that recording as well. Or do you have any questions? Or this is what it's going to go like. After this, we're going to have a fact-checking process. So you'll get asked some questions. I can't share you the article beforehand, before it's published. That's unethical. But you'll get kind of a hint of what's going to be in the article when the fact check, because they're going to ask you all the facts about the article. So, you know, I try to give them as much um, information to make them comfortable as possible. Um, And I think that's worked really well for me because I like to just be as transparent as possible. And then with people who have dealt with media a lot, it's the same thing. They can be very skeptical too because they've dealt with media a lot. And I just try to affect that. I don't try to change their minds. I try to say, yeah, I get that. That's fair that you would feel that way. Um, If you could just like try to give me a chance, hopefully you'll have a different experience with me. And hopefully we can talk about some things that you haven't talked about before. I mean, I just try to go in there as transparent as possible. And I think your point about, you know, meeting people where they are and as well, like saying like, I get where you're coming from and I get your past experiences, but like, I'm a different person. Hopefully we can have a better rapport. I work a lot with um, marginalized and underrepresented groups when I report. And I think they sometimes or we sometimes right like as a black woman have very complex and complicated relationships with traditional media as a black woman it would be silly for me to say that I don't understand why people might be hesitant to talk to the press I mean that is just that doesn't make any sense so why would I be mad at them for having the same reservation that I might have maybe let's meet them where they are and try to you know work with them within those hesitations
I'm wondering if you, like looking ahead the next five years at your work and just the entertainment industry in general, do you see any like challenges coming down the line for um, either in the entertainment journalism world or just entertainment broadly? I mean, I think we just, the diversity of thought, the diversity in terms of class, in terms of race, in terms of gender and sexuality, if we don't continue to try to fix that and we got to do a lot better than we have been doing, then we're going to continue to get the same old stories and we're going to continue to just miss out on very important events, trends, things, people, places um, in our culture. And so I think that to me is the biggest thing that I'm looking towards is like, how do we build up the next generation so that they can not just do what we're doing, but do better and be more innovative and think, you know, bigger than what we're thinking. That's, that's always my goal. Do you see any conversations happening around diversity in the entertainment journalism world? And if so, like, what are some biggest takeaways that you're, you're seeing? I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, a lot of the publications are still run by rich old white men, unfortunately. But I mean, there are like, I, I work as an editor at large for a publication, Capital B, it's a nonprofit news organization. And I'm really, what I'm inspired by in Atlanta is this new crop of nonprofit news organizations that have popped up to try to fill the gaps that traditional media has done a bad job of filling. Um, so not even just the Capital Bs, but the Canopy Atlantas, Atlanta Civic Circles. Um, there are a few of them here. And I think the one those projects that are very community first and community centered are, are crucial to the future of journalism. So I'm really excited about them. I am wondering, like, as we've talked about your many projects throughout your career, if you have any advice for our listenership who are made out of aspiring journalists. I think my biggest advice is to just um, be open to what it is that you want to do. Like, be clear on what you want to do, but be open to it evolving, right? Like, some of the things I've written about, if you had told me years ago that I was going to write about them, I'd have been like, I don't care about that, so no, I won't. So be open to your ideas and interests and your skill set evolving um, and your beat evolving, but also just be clear on what it is that your goals are and what you want to achieve as a reporter and tailor your career to that. You know, I, I try to, I give advice to young reporters whenever they ask, but I'm also very clear that like my path might not be your path. Like this is what worked for me. That might not work for you. Like, you know, so take the advice that I'm giving you do with it what you will. Take the good aspects of it, the things that are not useful, toss it out. Like, you know, you have to tailor your career to what works for you. Um, and I think that's really important to remember. I also wanted to ask, what's next for you? Like in the next year or two, I know we talked about your audio project, but like, what do you see coming up? I hope that that project that should come out next year, um, I'll be doing some more work with Capital B just with their uh, hope to launch the new nonprofit news organization here in Atlanta in at the top of 2022 um and also um you know continuing to write as well um i I think i do want to branch out more into podcasting but i want to get this one under my belt first and just kind of see how that goes before i can look forward to any new projects um listen jewel these are all the questions that i had for you but do you have anything that you wanted to add maybe for our listenership or something that we didn't touch on just remain curious and read a lot and follow your favorite writers on social media and see what they're talking about and what they're curious about. Reach out to them and tell them you're a fan of theirs and see if, you know, if they have some time, you know, try not to, don't, don't be a burden, but if they have time, see if they'd be willing to talk to you. A lot of people really would be willing to help young reporters, um, you know, as long as you're respectful and you ask in a, in a kind and, um, 
way that it respects their boundaries. Um, so yeah, just remain curious, ask for help when you need help. Um, and, and just remember that your journey and your career is your own. Thanks to Jewel for joining us on this episode. I'm your host, Kira Posey. Our producer is Dr. Keith Herndon, the executive director of the Cox Institute. To keep up with the lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at The Lead Podcast. See you next time.